0: You're listening to a podcast presentation of Hillside Four Square Church in Reno, Nevada. Hey there. We're going to be <clears throat> in Second Peter chapter two today. Uh, as I had mentioned a little bit earlier, today is week two of Advent, and this is the week where we celebrate peace. Uh, this morning, when I was praying for us and how to uh, as as we engage, anticipating the second coming, the thing that came to mind. Was I don't know if you've ever been in a huge crowd and you're walking in a particular direction. You will go at the speed of the crowd. I can remember, uh, I mentioned uh, last week, uh, Tim and Sue Meredith and Joni and I, uh, in 2011, went and saw U2 play in Oakland. And I can remember when we were one choice except to walk at the speed of the 60 or so thousand people that were attempting to all get to a spot where they could ride the BART or ride public transportation, which was a whole, our relationship grew to new depths and levels and heights and joy that night as we waited and waited and waited and waited and, you know, dodged. I mean, we were in Oaktown. I mean, come on. It's not like you want me walking through Oakland. Um but it wanted to walk slower, we would have had to intentionally get off as far to the side as possible to avoid being trampled because when people are going so fast, it's very difficult to go at a different speed. It reminds me that in this time of year where it is, it's feeling like Christmas and it can be very positive. There is also a franticness that some people adopt in their life. They can into this time. And it gets going so fast that even if you don't want to, you can find yourself being carried along by that. If you want to experience the peace of Jesus and of his reminder of his coming into your life, it may be very mindfully having to step to the side of the mainstream push and just be and wait for his grace and his instruction on what pace do you walk at. Because I'm not going to tell you, but I'm going to tell you walk at the, at the pace that Jesus has you walk, that it's life giving and not frantic, and man, I can't wait till this is over. You hear what I'm saying? So may the peace of God be upon you over this next week. As we're in Second Peter chapter two, I got to tell you, uh, this entire summer, I, while well, I was on sabbatical, I knew that I knew that I knew that it, we were going to commit to go through First and Second Peter from, and I was very excited about it. But when I came to 2 Peter chapter 2, I came across a section of Scripture that it's really hard to kind of parse that out or divide it up. It really has to be taken as a chunk, and it's a big chunk. And I got to tell you, this is different. What we're going to hear today, I believe, is different. It's not inconsistent with God's nature, or it's not inconsistent with Scripture, uplifting, I mean, and it's possible... To curate Bible teachings that avoid pain and avoid correction and avoid even hearing about God's justice. We can go through scripture and talk about the happy stories that are uplifting, and we can miss the 50 out of 150 Psalms that are the Dear God, I wish you'd break their necks and bash their teeth. What do we do with that? Merry Christmas! It's, it's, it can be challenging. And we come across something here where Peter, he kind of goes off God's name in vain and misrepresent him to the world. And he's talking to people who are, yes, who would claim Christianity. And he's talking to people who maybe wouldn't claim Christianity, but they claim to speak in the name of Christ. Or let me just tell you what these teachings really mean. Or let's interpret it for 2022 and the culture we're in today. And as we're going through this, it's not easy reading or listening. It's challenging and it's meaty and it's like, wow. But at the heart of it is a promise of God's redemptive power for his people and his redemptive action for his people. And also, a very sure promise that those who would attempt to mock him with their words and their will receive the result or the consequences of that, and it will not be pretty. So, I say all that to you because as we're going through this, this is if it was a song, it would be in a double minor key. It's not that, I can't even do the, one day it'll come back. It's not like we were singing, it's Christmas song where it's just, it's happy. This would be more like the Volga (laughs) Boatman. It's like, it's heavy. But there's redemption involved. Their only point of judgment that is addressed from God to others is those that will resist him, who will stand against grace and forgiveness. And for those people, there is no recourse other than the consequences of their actions and choices. For the firstborns in the house, we say, yes, this is good news. For the rest of us who would wrestle with the idea that we love the idea of justice, except for ourselves, we want mercy. You can know that a person who seeks God's mercy will find it but you will not oppose God. And we will wrap up this message today with the do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. However you plant into the ground of your life, you will reap the consequences of that for good or for evil. I'll just try and be better than, than, you know, than, you know, I could be. I'll be good and God will sort it out. There is none of that. There is the righteous who are people who have dedicated their life to follow him. And there's people who do the Frank Sinatra. I'm doing it my way. That's it. Here we go. Second Peter, we're going to start with verses uh, 1 through 10. of. There were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them. And therefore, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. One of the primary things Peter points the listeners to of his this, these, both these letters is in the First Testament, in the Old Testament. These prophecies, these testimonies tell of Christ and his coming and what God's going to do. And he says, I want you to know that just as there's real prophets, there are false prophets who come to twist something that was made well. Same way that there's good teachers, there are false teachers whose goal it is to subvert truth, to introduce heresy or false teaching or false doctrine to deny key elements or even the identity of the sovereign Lord and his method or his means of salvation. And in doing so, they initiate destruction on themselves, but even more on those that they follow or that follow them. It says, many people will follow false teachings because they are attracted by the sensuality or the depraved nature of what gets to happen, what goes along. expressing sexual sin, sinning in ways that affect us body, soul, mind, and spirit dealing with compromises of a sexual nature in doing so it says the way of truth will be maligned as people follow this depraved sensual nature and those that do this are often motivated by notoriety or greed or the opportunity for personal gain and there is a sure punishment that is coming to them for their false teaching for leading people astray I touched on last week how James chapter 3 says not be judged more harshly That doesn't mean you don't teach, you just make sure you're not trying to bring your own twist on something or to modernize it or to make it seem more palatable. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news, but to those that are perishing, it is deadly. There is no I'll work it out between me and God. We cannot do that with the creator of the universe. There is no, I listened to a message this last week, a kind of a conversation between a guy and he's talking with another guy who's, he's kind of an agnostic, doesn't know if there is really such a a thing as God or if we can know him. And the guy who was an agnostic said, you know, I just don't think it's right that God would tell me to do something that violates my sense of what's right and wrong. Let me tell you something. God will tell you things and invite you to his way to lead you into his way and your natural way of thinking. Otherwise, you wonky ways that make it difficult. I'm talking about God saying, I want you to love your enemy. That's not fair. I want you to do good to those who spitefully use you. That's just not right. They deserve worse. Why should they get mercy? God says, because that's kingdom way. Well, that's hard, God. Okay, you know what else is hard? Being a sinless man, Jesus, and dying on the cross. For sins when you've done nothing we can't really pull the justice card on Jesus and say well that's not fair because Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we could be dead to sin and alive to Christ if left to our own devices it, the Bible compares us to sheep and if you've ever been around sheep they are dumb and they are dumb because they do what they think about doing they do what the, they see people around them doing. I love to watch shepherd videos. I know some people watch other stuff. I watch shepherd videos. I watch shepherds who, they've got their sheep congregation tr- gathered together with five or six different flocks come together. And then as the, the, the flocks converge, like how are they going to separate them? The shepherd just calls the name and the sheep who are his follow him. It's beautiful. The shepherd's job is to also seek out and to rescue those, the sheep that, that get lost or get stuck. And my favorite video of all time about shepherds is the sheep that is stuck in a chasm. And the sheep jumps out and bounces two steps and goes right back into the chasm. Why? Because I'm free, I'm free. Ooh, again. The sheep does what it feels. It needs a shepherd to be led through the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we will all do what we think is right. And in that situation, we end up in big trouble because if we each do what we want in the way we think is right, what we're actually doing is following the first and only commandment of what it means to follow the devil. Do what you want. Do what you think you're supposed to do. It doesn't matter how it affects anyone else. God says, follow me. It's a better way. See, I told you this is this. Now, Peter busts out a rabbinical proof here. You're thinking, I didn't know we are going to do math. Well, it's not so much math. It's he's tr- trying to make a point. And in Greek teaching, when a person says if, you know, the devil t- um, is tempting Jesus and says, well, if you're the son of God. He's not so much calling into question whether he's the son of God because he knows he is. It's changeable with sense. So it's like. Since this is true, since this is what happened, this is also going to happen. So in these rabbinical proofs, if equals since, and Peter uses several minor premises to point to a major premise, and I'm going to sum it all up right here. If or since God did not allow the fallen angels to get away with what they were doing, if he Allowed the flood to happen. If he rescued Noah, if he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, if he rescued Lot, you can be sure how much more will he punish the and uphold his people, the godly. Okay. If you don't hear anything else, hear that. As we dive into these proofs, says proof number one with the fallen angels. If God did not ignore the fallen angels, but he threw them into outer darkness, into Tartar. That begs the question, what did the fallen angels do? I'm really glad you asked because in Jude 6, it says, the angels did not stay within their own position of authority, but they left their proper dwelling. He's kept them in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until judgment of the great day. According to Jewish tradition, in the book of Genesis, he also established angelic beings known as the watchers. These are talked about in Genesis. They're talked about in Ezekiel. They're talked about in Daniel. They're talked about in Jude. And these watchers were about 200 or so angelic beings who were responsible to watch over nations and watch over people groups and to appropriately teach them how to use technology for the glory of God. However, Enoch both accepted within the Jewish tradition, these angels saw the daughters of man on the planet and they saw their beauty and they saw how they looked and it says they left their position as watchers established to follow God's plan and to lead people into that and they left their estate and they came to earth and they interbred with humans, the sons of God, interbreed with the humans, and they created the slash demon, half-human, Nephilim, or fallen ones. And these were known as the men of renown. This is Genesis 6. And as a result, these fallen angels are thrown into outer darkness to be held in chains until the day of final judgment. And scriptures, he's quoting the experience saying, you think you can get away with something defying God? Let me just tell you since God didn't let the angels do it, you can be sure it's not gonna be let, people aren't gonna get away with this either. Even those fallen angels will pay the price. Number two, the flood proof. Number Genesis chapter six through eight, it tells the story of the flood. And ultimately, in a nutshell, you know, this is a, about a six-week message in a couple seconds. God promised to overcome the sin that entered the world through Adam and Eve by one of Eve's descendants, excuse me, one of Eve's descendants crush the devil's head. And that that genealogy would be... Uh, Pure, there would be no sinful nature that was passed down, and that that descendant would be the one, the Messiah, the anointed one, who would overcome the plan of the enemy to bring sin, destruction, etc., to the world. As a result, one of the reasons that the fallen angels were interbreeding with humanity was to pollute the bloodline of the promised Messiah so that there would be no human beings with pure bloodlines. This isn't about, you know, getting into. Uh, anything weird that our world turns it into. It's not getting into the trying to create a mastery. It was attempting to make it so that there was no one who did not have sinful nature, okay? And so at one point when Noah and his family, they're the only ones on the planet who have not had their blood, God says the world is wicked and he despaired that he'd made creation because it turned into a celebration of wickedness and he chose to flood the earth to wipe it out to wipe out all creation to start over with Noah and these other seven righteous, his three sons, their wives, and his wife—is this real? You know how many stories in cultures around the world talk about demigods? The gods came down and interbred, and, and it's like, oh, those are just myths. What do you think they're based on? It Scripture. So, it's like, well, I don't understand. But it's the only thing that makes sense when you start wanting to say, why would God do this? Let me tell you, why does God tell Israel, go into the promised land and wipe out everybody? Because guess who lives there? It's all the half Nephilim, all the Nephilim, the half fallen angels and humans live there. The Anakim, not Anakin, Anakin came to the light side later. It's the Anakim, it's the Rephaim, it's all these giant beings. He said, I want you to go in there and wipe them out. That's why he told them to do this was pure in all of his generations. He was pure in his bloodline. And it, it was through the family of Noah that this bloodline is passed down, that eventually we see the Holy Spirit cause Mary to be pregnant. He, the father of this child being the Holy Spirit causing Jesus to be born without having sin in his life and is able to live an entire life and then have, be sacrificed on the cross to pay for our sins. Six weeks and five minutes. There we go. If God will not spare the world in the midst of their sin, but he will intentionally rescue Noah in a miraculous way, you can be sure he's going to continue to do this. One of my fun things that I like to do is expose Joni to um, really fun TV shows that where people who aren't Christians, but they're researching stuff, and it's like, this makes no sense. Why would there, peop- there, would there be a flood narrative all over the world if there wasn't a flood? They don't know. They don't know. It's like, and then you, these geneticists get on and say, you know what we found? We found in people's DNA that at some point where Scripture talks about people lived hundreds of years, that some, somehow in their DNA, something flipped off. And there's a kill switch in human DNA. And they estimated uh, people will live about 120 years because of this kill switch. What does the Bible say how long people will live? According to what God said, people will only live now after the flood. 120 years. Wow. Don't tell me science and Jesus don't come in contact with each other. Now I'm Batman. (laughs) Out of the rabbit hole. And number three, Sodom and Gomorrah. In the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abram and his nephew Lot, he loved Lot. Let me tell you. (sighs) I wish I had sisters. You know, my my parents had four boys. It wasn't for lack of trying. We we wanted a girl. didn't happen. I have one daughter. Hey, I like her. (laughs) One of the great joys of my life is my nieces, Ellie and Zoe. I like their brothers. I like my brother Joel's sons, but I love those girls. I didn't know you were going to be here otherwise, but this was, in, this was in the message. I'm convinced Abraham wanted the very best for his nephew, Lot, because Lot's dad had died, his brother. I know what that's like to lose a brother or this beloved one. And there comes a time where God says, I'm going to cause you to be a mighty nation, Abraham. And he takes him and says, you know, you can pick anywhere you want to go. And he and Lot both have these growing families and growing, um, excuse me, flocks. And they just got so much looking at it. They go up on a mountaintop and Abram says to his beloved nephew Lot, you know, I'm going to give you first pick. God says we can pick anything in here. This entire area is ours. That area over there, the really green part, that's Sodom and Gomorrah. I wouldn't go there. It's got a really bad, messed up reputation. There are, that tend to gather things and people of like spirit. It's why certain cities in our world today can be known for certain areas of sin. I can name a couple of American cities. Las Vegas, New Orleans, San Francisco. Different things come up about when you start thinking of I'm not talking about just the people who live there. I'm talking about the festivals that people are known for. Festivals, again, not in the notes. This is kind of a... a festivals are ways that people now, uh, contract year after year as they engage in these behaviors. And they may not even know what they're doing, but just because they may be ignorant does not mean that's what's happening. And so as these places become known for it, at some point people say, if I want to let my freak flag fly... Doing it in New Orleans is much, much easier because there's much less resistance to whatever, you know, you can let it go on Bourbon Street in ways you can't let it go on Main Street. Does that make sense? So Lot looks and says, that area over there looks like it's got a, he's got a lot of work. I'm going to go to this area where Sodom and Gomorrah are. There comes a time, Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's living there, He's distressed by what he sees. It's a wild and crazy place. Jesus, in a pre-incarnational appearance, it's called a theophany, it's a fancy word, he appears in divine form, and he meets with Abraham. And he says, and Abraham says, will you please not do it? And he says, well, Why shouldn't I? He says, what if there's 50 righteous people who live there? And God says to him in Jesus, if there's 50 righteous people, I won't wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham's sitting there thinking, it's like, from what I know of Sodom and Gomorrah, I don't know if there's 50. But if there's 40, how about if there's 40 righteous people? I mean, it's only 10 less. Can you please not wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah? And the pre-incarnate Christ says, okay, If if there's 40, and then if there's 30, and if there's 20, he continues to negotiate it down his his fingers. Lot, his wife, daughters, the boys they're engaged to are dicey, but maybe that's six. Maybe there's four more. If there's 10, pre-incarnate Christ, God, if there's 10 righteous people in this city, will you please not destroy it? And he says, yes. For 10, I will not. And tells the story about two angels that are sent to Sodom and Gomorrah. And they go to Sodom and Gomorrah, and they see what's happening, and they go into the, the, the kind of the village. If you're a traveler, you go to the village square, and someone, according to the, the uh, culture, will offer you hospitality. Lot sees them, and he says, "Dudes, you cannot stay here. It's not safe for you. So he takes them to his house. And that night, as he's got them in the house, it says, all the men of the singing on the doors and say, give us the men. We want to rape them. Bring them out. Let's show them how we welcome strangers here. And Lot's like, no, please don't do this wickedness. It's, it's, it's nuts. And Lot, we get to see how it's just so corrupt and so messed up. And there comes a point where the angels strike the men blind. And they're unable to see. And they're unable to find the doors to find where, where Lot and the men are. And the angel said, okay, we've seen enough. Rep- you and your wife and your kids better get out of Dodge as quickly as possible. And you tell whoever you want to save that this will experience judgment very soon. The, the sons-in-law, Lot's sons-in-law, oh, dude. you've been drinking. There's no way this is going to happen. Lot and his wife and his two daughters running out of town. And the angels say, keep going and go all the way to that place, that village over there. And he says, it's so far. Can you, can you put me in a place that's closer? And they said, okay, well, put, God will put his hand over this little place and protect it. But go. And it says, as they get up into this mountaintop, the, the Sodom and Gomorrah are, are destroyed by fire and brimstone. It is a complete catech. Don't even turn around and look at this. It says, Lot's wife turned around and looked at it and she became a pillar of salt. We don't know exactly what that means other than she melted into something because of disobedience to God. And this is not one of those metaphorical or allegorical stories. This is something that Peter says, if God is not going to let Sodom and Gomorrah get away with what they did, he sure as heck isn't going to let the unrighteous teachers get away with their stuff. And if he saved Lot, even more so is he going to save his people. There's a lot in this. And it can be heavy it's like, well, where's, where's mercy? There's mercy and that God says there's a way out. You just can't have the way be your own way. It's his way. If this building was experiencing some sort of catacly- cataclysmic event, and every exit was affected by fire or affected by wild animals, except for that one, and you won't go, there's an 18-wheeler completely open in the back you can go get into and it'll take you to safety. And you insist on going out this door, but if you do, you're gonna be destroyed. That is not on God. It is on you for insisting on your own way. Well, I don't wanna go out to the south. I wanna go. Safety and salvation is my way. Your way is destruction. And it repeats over and over and over. Second Peter 2, second half of 10 Through the end of the chapter. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet, this is the characteristics of the false teachers. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet, even angels, though they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on some. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water and mists driven by the storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words. And by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. And if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse, better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a fool uh, dog to the vomit and a sow that is washed returns to This particular thread is probably the, one of the harshest portions in the New Testament. Proud, irrational, dominated by the sensual pursuits, selfish, manipulative, blasphemers of angelic beings, reckless, ignorant, shameless. There are people who believe that you can just call out whatever, name of Jesus, and just start speaking against angelic beings and speaking against principalities and powers ruled in this dark world. Let me tell you, we have authority over darkness in the power of Jesus only, not in our presumption, our presumption. We cannot go and start challenging things that God never told us to go challenge. With great fear and trembling, do we ever engage in anything apart from what Jesus tells us to? We don't go seeking out, well, let's just cast down the spirit prevailing over Reno when Paul is ministering in the the city of Ephesus and millions of people a year are coming and worshiping at the temple of Artemis, the seventh wonder of the ancient world, not one time did he call out Artemis. Not one time did he try to have a spiritual confrontation with this spirit that claimed the name of Jesus and as the name of Jesus was lifted high, people are delivered from their, their slavery to sin and their slavery to serving Artemis. To the point where, within a few years, the people who served Artemis are like, hey, nobody does this anymore. What's the deal? It's because of Paul and that guy. He didn't ever once seek it out because God doesn't call us to go proclaim and speak against the principalities and powers and rule of this world. He calls us to proclaim the name of Jesus. Don't get so caught up in thinking, you know, like the disciples, hey, even the demons obey us. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life more than this other stuff. Focus on that. They are hypocrites, adulterers. They are constantly sinning. They're seducers of the weak-willed. They're greedy. They're cursed. They've abandoned their own way for for God's way for their own. Can't not go there. What's it talking about? Balaam and his donkey who talked. It's not a myth. Numbers chapter twenty-two through twenty-four. The king of Moab, a guy named Balak. He hires a prophet named Balaam who gets filled with the spirit of God, even though he's kind of a foreigner, and he would prophesy. And Balak says, I'm scared of Israel, so I'm going to prophesy against Israel. I want you to curse them so that we can overcome them and we can beat them. Balaam says, how much are you going to pay me? And Balak says, it'll be this amount. And Balaam says, yes, please. Balaam gets on his donkey, and he starts to ride out to a high place. The better to curse you from, my dear. And as he's riding, God sends an angel to oppose him and the donkey, but Balaam can't see it. The donkey can. And as they begin to approach the angel, the donkey stops. And he's Balaam going. says he go, and he starts whacking the donkey. The angel moves on. So Balaam keeps going with his donkey. They get to another spot, and the angel stops in front of him, and the, a- the donkey sees it. He's not going to keep going. So he stops, and Balaam starts yelling at the donkey and hitting it with his staff. The angel leaves and goes to a place where it's a very narrow passageway between two kind of think about a chasm in a in, in, an angel standing there like this with a flaming sword in his hand. And they come up closer, and Balaam's trying to drive the donkey through. And the angel's dodging the, or the donkey's trying to dodge the angel, and he squishes Balaam's foot. And blank and blank, donkey, I can't believe it. And the donkey talks to him. Because God gave the donkey speech. And God lets the donkey say, hey, have I ever done this before? I've been a good donkey. Why are you going to be beating me? I mean, do I have a track record of being bad? And then Balaam says, well, no. And they're having a full-on conversation. He says, then please stop beating me. Come on. Come back. There we are. So this angel says, I'm sorry, donkey. I'm sorry, it's like you better not go forward thinking you're gonna say anything other than what God can give you to say. And Balaam's all, yes, sir. So Balak takes Balaam, and three different times he puts him on a different mountaintop and says, Okay, curse Israel. And he gets up there and the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he prophesies and he blesses Israel and he curses Moab. And Balak is like, I paid him money for this. And the same thing happens. He takes to another place and the same thing happens. And Balaam's like, I cannot curse Israel if that's what God is not doing. I can only speak what God puts in my mouth. And Balak says, I wasted money. Balaam says, I got a, I got a plan though." No. I know how we can get them. I know what we can do. According to Numbers chapter 25, Revelation chapter 2, Balaam told Balak, the way to cause Israel to fall is through sexual compromise. Get your women to invite their men Get them to invite them to their feasts where they're eating food sacrificed to idols. And then invite them to your orgies. They will not serve another god if you try and come at them straightforward. But if you come at them through their sexuality, and it, what we see in Numbers 25, it says, and Israel fell. That is the way of Balaam. Sexual compromise. This is not a high-handed morality message here this is a the plan that was used back in the day is still effective today because we are vulnerable sexually and we live in a would you believe it if i said a highly sexualized culture things happen that don't seem to be actually right even to the age of beginning to target children we want to give them a voice to choose their own way i ain't giving a three-year-old the voice to choose their own way in anything because my three-year-old grandson is not going to choose what is right we we're made to train them up in the way that they should go. Not to create robots, but to tr- teach them the way to, that is right. If we will not teach them the way that is right, we hate them. Uh, who am I to say stove? Who am I to say don't stick your finger in a light socket? Who am I to say don't you know, take sticks and whack people with them? I, just, I, I don't want to be repressive. No, we need to teach. If we don't correct, we don't love. If we don't teach, if we don't lead, we do not love. Does that make sense? Finally, there are springs without water. I don't know if you've ever been in the desert. Driving through, I believe it was the, between Lee Vining and Bishop in our old Volkswagen bus. And Volkswagen buses are wonderful when they run. However, they do not always run. As a testimony of my friend Moses could probably tell you this, it's why you always carry a bunch of extra stuff. And I can remember the first couple of times when we were going through this and all of a sudden, it overheated. It's like, which way? It says, well, Levining's 30 miles this way, Bishops 40 to 50 miles that way, so we'll see. And It's like, what are we going to do? We're going to sit here. And I remember looking, as we're in this Owens River Valley, and looking out, and you can see where it's like, it looks like there's water out there. You know what it is? It's a mirage. What he's saying here is, it looks like there's springs with living water, but instead it's just a mist. It's, it's, it's nothing. It's supposed to be refreshing, instead. and I love this. Blackest darkness is reserved for people who lead others into this, who mouth empty words without substance, who entice the weak using lustful desires, who pull people back into error who had just escaped it. It'd be similar to a person who has had a drinking problem or has been involved in drugs and is coming out of it and coming to the point of freedom and a person coming in and saying, hey, it's not a drink, just one, just one. And maybe the person who's saying that can have just one, but the person who they're trying to lead, one is 13. One is, is the handle. It's that type of deceptive, terrible crud that God is confronting and says, this will not be allowed. And there will be punishment for it. It would have been better for those people who've been delivered by God to have never known God Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8, as we wrap up. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, and whatever he sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let me tell you, you sow and plant in your life to please God. There is no fear in any of this for you. If you try to mock God, if you try and pull one over on him, there is no escape from the punishment that will come and it will be brought on you by yourself. I hope what you hear today is a God will not let anybody get away with attempting to mock him or to lead others into destruction, but he will rescue in a desperate, powerful way who comes to him according to his grace by Jesus through faith. Does that makes sense? Okay. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is true. I ask you to apply to our hearts today the scriptures that were read in a way that is life-giving. Lord, I would bind every spirit except for the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name, every twisted spirit that would want to take your word and make it seem different than it is, or a spirit of truth that we would understand your word, that we would apply it, and that we would lead our families and invite our friends in those areas to walk according to your truth. I pray that you would give us insight and wisdom, that we'd be able to tell the difference and to discern between right and wrong, and that when we engage, we will be bold people who declare your truth, not because we've got a corner on it, but because you've given it to us to give to others. I pray that you would strengthen us in Jesus' name, according to your purposes, according to your plans. Thank you for rescuing people who are dependent upon you started a relationship with Jesus and you would like to let me tell you he says that anybody who calls upon his name would and he sits at the right hand of the father now you have your sins paid for you walk in salvation today and if that's where you're at today I would love for you to grab one of our yes packets grace will you wave at me my wonderful daughter grace is back here and she's got yes packets these are for people who want to start with Jesus so please feel free to grab those there's a great bunch of material kind of point you in a good direction with that we also have a couple people in the back, back here by the trellis, who are able to pray with you about anything that has come up today. I recognize, at least in my own mind, that the message today, it had some hard stuff in it, but I see so much goodness and so much joy and so many good promises of God saying, I've got my people, and there will be a consequence for those that want to reap, wreak havoc and reap destruction. There is also going to be a consequence, and that is a consequence Jesus for those. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and give you peace. Bless you. Bless you today with everything you need to walk with him. Have a great rest of your day. This has been a podcast presentation of Hillside Four Square Church in Reno, Nevada. You can reach us via email at web at hillside4.org. That's w-e-b at hillside, the number four, dot org.